0: If you got your Bibles, I hope you do. Uh, Let me ask you to find your way over to the Gospel of Luke. Uh, There's some Bibles there in the seat backs in front of you. If you want to grab one of those, just find your way over to the second half of the Bible, the New Testament, and uh, you'll find Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, the third book of the New Testament. I'm going to be reading a couple of verses from uh, Luke chapters 4 and 19 and skipping over then to John chapter 20 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to hop, skip, and jump through a few places this morning to talk about having a missional citizenship. When I uh, was doing a a little bit of reading and researching, and and many of you have done this, whether it was when you were in high school or when you were in college or just because you're interested in in, in things perhaps of history, if you look for a place somewhere in the documents uh, that make up who we are as the United States of America… You will not find any document that states something like this. The purpose of the United States of America is. Uh, There's no such statement that is made in in any of our documents. Uh, The closest that we have, of course, is the preamble to the Constitution, which many of you could probably recite from memory because uh, as a kid uh, you memorized it maybe when you were in school, or for some that are of a different age, uh, we heard it on Schoolhouse Rock cartoons on Saturday morning. It, It goes like this, we the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. At the very beginning of this preamble, it says that we, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, this idea uh, that often is referred to as the American experiment is that there would be a union of people, there would be a society of persons striving together toward the other five goals that are listed there within the preamble, that there would be justice, tranquility, defense, welfare, and liberty. And the U.S. Constitution, for all of its political and philosophical brilliance, it, it gives to us uh, the, the moorings and the anchor points and even the directions that we are to operate as a, a nation of citizens and laws and rules and regulations and economy. Uh, it, it tells us what it is that we're here for. Uh, but one thing that we keep in mind as believers and as Christians is that it does not rule necessarily the church. The Constitution is by far the most brilliant, I think many of us would say, the most brilliant of documents that perhaps man has ever come up with. It was informed by the Scripture. It is weighted toward those things which are biblical. But we as believers always balance out our earthly citizenship with our heavenly citizenship. We look at this uh, this endeavor to form a more perfect union and you can see the reflection of all of these biblical ideas of justice and peace and defense and the welfare uh, for those that are here and those that are yet to come and freedom for all of us. Uh, These sound very much like the biblical ideals reflected of what the kingdom of God is going to be like when we are fully ensconced in it. And so when I think about days like we're going to observe on Wednesday of Independence Day, uh, these are markers for us here on the earth. They're they're signposts that point to something else. Uh, They're signposts that that point us from a temporary uh, reality to an eternal reality. And so in thinking about what is it that all of this points toward, it just continues to drive into my heart, and I hope that I can lay before you why it is that our citizenship here in the U.S. can be used with such power and with such weight for the very good mission of God. I want to begin, as I said, here in Luke chapter 4. And there are two different places in the Gospel of Luke that give to us The mandate of Jesus's ministry. When you look at what it is that Jesus does while he's here on the earth, granted not in our particular political environment but in the environment of the Roman Empire, there are two different mandates that we see that he operates by. One is a cultural mandate and the second is an evangelistic mandate. The cultural mandate we see here in Luke chapter 4 beginning in verse 16 where it says he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, where he had been raised. And as usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written. And now he begins to quote from the prophet Isaiah of the Old Testament. "'The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor.'" He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began by saying to them, "'Today, as you listen, this Scripture has been fulfilled.'" There is this cultural mandate that Jesus operated by while he was here on the earth in that he was delivering justice. And, And he says all of this prophecy from Isaiah from centuries ago is being fulfilled in your day right before you because the Messiah has arrived. He says the Lord is on me and he's going to preach the good news and not just to anybody and everybody, but specifically he points out he's going to preach it to the poor. He, he is going to talk about the release of those that are in captivity. He's going to talk about healing for those that are broken. He is going to talk about setting free the oppressed. He is talking about a, a, a year of favor that has come because of the Lord. It is one of many places within the life of Jesus where we see him advocating for justice in the culture. And we as the church, we stand oftentimes as very much the conscience of culture. We are the ones who stand up in the public square and, and decry the, the murder of millions of babies that are still in the womb. We are the ones that stand up in the public square and decry uh, the, the lack of morality and the lack of, of mooring uh, of our sexual ethics any longer. We're the ones who stand up in the public square and declare what the Lord's justice really is because this is what Jesus did. We are the ones who advocate for those that are on the margins and on the fringes of society, that we go to them, not just uh, being hacktivists who post it on Facebook and Twitter and social media, but we actually go and do something about it because we have the power to be able to do so. And we have the mandate of the life of Jesus that he went out after those that were on the margins and on the edges and those who had no social or societal power. Because Jesus did this, we do it. But then there's also an evangelistic mandate. If you look at Luke chapter 19, there's this little story that if you grew up in church like I did, you learned a song about Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior walked that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, there you go. Zacchaeus, come down, for I'm going to your house today. So Zacchaeus is a tax collector, which means he was not a good guy. Now, if you work for some organization or governmental entity that you collect, ta- collect taxes, uh, this, is, this is not a, an apples-for-apples apples kind of comparison. In these ancient times, for a Jewish person to become a tax collector, it means essentially they had turned their back on their own people and they were working for the Roman Empire. They were were helping the Romans put the people under their boot. And, And so the way that you collected taxes and the way that you made your money is that you collected taxes that was within the law of what you were allowed to collect taxes for, but the way that you made money is that you collected extra money from the people that you were excising taxes from. And so many of the tax collectors got very, very wealthy on the backs of their fellow countrymen. But here in Luke chapter 19, Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. He's heard about Jesus. Jesus uh, says that he will go to the house of Zacchaeus, and it says here in Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 6, so he quickly came down, talking about Zacchaeus climbing out of the tree, and welcomed Jesus joyfully. And all who saw it began to complain. He's gone to stay with a sinful man. This is what Jesus does. He goes after sinful people. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor. Lord, and if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. He shows a a heart of repentance. Uh, By calling him Lord, he is showing a heart of faith. And then verses 9 and 10 give to us this evangelistic mandate out of the life of Jesus. Today, Jesus says, salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. And then verse 10, for the son of man, Jesus refers to himself this way many times, for the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. Within these two statements that Jesus makes, we get these two great impulses that are in his life, that he is going to deliver justice and he is going to deliver salvation, and these two things are intrinsically linked to one another. Jesus goes after the people that are on the margins and He commissions His church to do the same. We see it throughout all of the New Testament of the church caring for people that are poor and that are indigent, people that are without any physical resources, people that are rejected by the rest of the world. And we see Jesus doing all of the work necessary in order to bring the gospel to us, in order to bring salvation to us. For He does the dying. He does the resurrecting so that we might be able to inherit grace and forgiveness. We see these mandates in the ministry of Jesus while he is operating within the Roman Empire. But beyond just what it is that we see Jesus do in the mandates within his ministry, then we see that there is a missional sending by Jesus in our own lives. Now, the word missional, I know, is not something that is in everybody's normal vocabulary. It is relatively a made-up word from about 125 years ago. Uh, if you want to know the whole long history, I can give that to you. I had to do, like, research on that stuff at one point in my academic career. It, it, it's, this re- it's this odd word that we, that we just recently began using as human beings. I- essentially, it's just take the word mission that we all understand. and and make it an adjective. So instead of that using it just as a noun, that mission is this thing over there in this box of all these different options, it becomes a description of how we actually live. I'm going to live missionally. I'm gonna live like a missionary in this world. Now, if you look at the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 21, this is after Jesus is risen from the dead, The tomb is empty. Mary Magdalene is the one who has seen him. Uh, She has gone back to the apostles that are still living. At this point, there are 11 because Judas Iscariot has taken his own life. It is evening. The disciples are locked away in a room because they fear that they also are going to get arrested and perhaps executed. And it says in John chapter 20 that when they are in this room locked away, in verse 19, it says, Jesus came stood among them, and He said, Peace be with you. And having said this, He showed them His hands and His side. So He shows them the place where He was wounded on the cross. And so the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And verse 21 is key. Jesus said to them, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. You in the same way, Similarly, synonymously, just like the Father sent me onto the earth in order to accomplish redemption, just as the Father has sent me in order to deliver grace and truth, just as the Father has sent me to be the agent of justice and righteousness in the world, in the same kind of way that I've been commissioned by the Father to do this work, now I'm commissioning you as the Father has sent me so I'm sending you. This is the opposite of a life that is stayed and sedentary and still. There's really nothing familiar with a still Christian when it comes to the Bible. Uh, as Christians, we are busy, active, moving. We are a going kind of people. That is, Key to the very commission that Jesus has given to us. He told us to go into all the earth, not stay home and wait for the kingdom of God to show up. But instead, he told us to go. And you see, for us, mission should rule the day in our lives. But This is a really great qu- place for us to ask a question. Uh, for you to do the, the necessary introspection of your own spiritual condition. And that is what rules your heart. What is it that rules your day? What is it that overtakes your thoughts and your emotions? What is it that is constantly begging and yammering and yelling for your attention that you give it to? You know, for some people, uh, they allow fleshly pleasures to rule their day. Now, that's all the way from the sinful activities that they hide from the rest of the world uh, to the addictive behaviors that everybody knows about that you think that maybe you have kept quiet and to yourself, all the way to the adrenaline junkie kind of uh, things that we do just because that's what really gives us our, you know, our charge. You know, what is it that rules your day? Uh, For some people, and certainly in in a week like this, it is important for us to think, is it that I am allowing political values to rule my day? Is it that I have decided that the Republicans are completely right, or the Democrats are completely right, or the Green Party is completely right, or I just found one particular candidate that I just really, really like, and I think that he or she is the one who's going to guide all of my thinking? You know, not even political values of whatever party you may have voted for in the last election necessarily rules our day, or at least it shouldn't. For some people, though, it's something quiet and negative and, and very oppressive. It's guilt. Guilt is what rules your day. You know, you, you operate and, and you live uh, with The power of guilt hanging over your life, maybe for misdeeds in the past, maybe you think you're trying to pay off all the the bad stuff you did in the past. And and none of these three things uh, allow for the grace of God to have its full work within you, and none of these three things, if they rule your day, allow for you to fully engage in the mission of the kingdom of God. If you allow fleshly pleasure to rule you, then, then we just become very selfish, and I don't have time for the kingdom of God kind of stuff because I'm too busy pleasing myself. If we allow political and cultural values to rule our day, then we've overridden the Word of God, and we've said we have found a higher authority than, than you, God, and, and we're going to let instead the politics of the day or the, the, or the cultural whims to, to guide our hearts today, or if it's guilt then we've made the gospel null and void. We've said that, well, my sin apparently is just bigger than the gospel. Uh, Jesus, my sin, even though you said you paid for it on the cross, I still feel like I have to pay for it. And you live under that cloud of guilt. When Jesus has freed us from all of these things, he has freed us from sin's grip on our heart. He has freed us from guilt. He has freedom, freed us from the, the false sense of security that we find in the world. Instead, we allow ourselves to be ruled by the King of glory and the King of grace. So we see in Jesus' life there are these missionary mandates, and we see that He gives us a missional sending But also, I want to point your attention to one last passage, and that's in the book of 2 Corinthians. So just keep going a little bit further into your New Testament and and get to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where it describes to us the missionary work of the church. In one particular verse, uh, summarize, really, uh, we could really even pick out just one word here, but the whole verse will help you out. In, In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, There stands a great statement about the missionary work of the church in this day and age, as it has in every day and age. Paul says to this church in Corinth, Therefore, we are ambassadors, ambassadors for Christ, since God is making His appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Think about the impact of this for a moment. Now, I want to come back to this one word, ambassadors, and I want you to think through that with me really, really, very clearly. But even before we get there, look at that next phrase, since God is making His appeal through us, when Paul writes this to the church in Corinth, he is not talking to the super saints of the ancient world. As a matter of fact, he is talking to one of the most jacked up, mucked up churches that existed in the ancient world. One of the churches that was having the most amount of problems inside of its congregation. He was writing to a church that he had had to include in the previous letter, hey, one of your members is sleeping with his stepmom and he needs to stop that. All right, that's where this church is. And yet, he says to this church, as broken and as compromised and and as as indefensible as some of what they were allowing to have happen, as he is leading them toward righteousness, he says, I want you to know, as a Christian, as a person owned by Jesus in this world, the God of heaven, the creator of the universe, the one who rules in glory— has chosen that in this world, he is going to make his appeal not by writing in big letters in the sky, not by dropping an angel onto every city, not by any other means of delivery. He is going to make his appeal through us. And as you've heard me say on many occasions, I've met us. Us is not so impressive. I wake up with us every morning. I look at us every day in the mirror. I know us. And yet God, through His grace and mercy as the King of all things, has made the decision that you, as a Christian, He is going to make His appeal for redemption and redeeming the nations through people like us. He's going to make it through you. This is the great missionary work that we get to be a part of because he says we are his ambassadors, ambassadors for Christ. You are not a normal citizen of the United States of America or wherever your citizenship may may reside. Uh, You are not just a normal citizen of a country. You are an ambassador from the eternal realm of God's kingdom on the earth. Everywhere you go, you are representing the king of glory in your words, in your actions, in every thought that you have. And Our ultimate allegiance has changed from an allegiance to self or to earthly uh, temporary citizenship to this Ultimate allegiance to the kingdom of God. It's why we worship and we serve the eternal God, while we while we uh, also show honor to people in temporary earthly positions of political power, and we make sure that we don't confuse the two. You know, in the early church, they had to navigate these waters right out of the gate. This was not something that they got to tinker around with for a few centuries and kind of work out all the philosophy. As, as, In a matter of fact, as, as early as Acts chapter 5, shortly after they had the, the big revival at Pentecost, Peter and the other apostles are confronted by the governing authorities and are told to stop preaching. And in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, Peter and the apostles say to the governing authorities, we must obey God rather than people. Immediately, they are, they are drawing a line in the sand that the missionary and the evangelistic work of the kingdom of God is always going to trump everything else in their lives. Later on in the book of Acts chapter 17, uh, Paul and his missionary band of believers had gone through one particular city called Thessalonica, and there was a riot Of all the people that did not believe the gospel, that did not like what Paul was saying, that did not like this whole idea of Christ being Lord, of Jesus being the King… And Paul and and his missionaries got out of town, but there was a guy named Jason who had hosted them in his house. And it says that the crowd, this riotous crowd, went and dragged Jason and the other believers out into the street. And in Acts chapter 17, verses 6 and 7, here's the summary of the rioters' ideas. It says, when they did not find them, talking about Paul, they dragged Jason and some of the other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here too, and Jason has welcomed them, and they are all acting contrary to Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, Jesus. The most revolutionary thing you're ever going to do in life is to declare that Jesus is the king. That is the most revolutionary statement that we're going to make in this world because most people have decided that they are their own king or queen. They they rule their own dominion. And so we have to come before the world with this, this decree, this declaration that Jesus really is the king, that he really is the author of salvation. When we think about this, I want you to consider very carefully with me for the, the majority of us in this room that are citizens of the United States of America, that we have two of the most powerful political devices ever known to humanity. As a citizen of the U.S., two of the most powerful political devices ever known in the history of the world, you have access to them. The first is your vote as an American citizen and your second is the ability to get an American passport. Those two devices are almost unparalleled in the history of the world of being able to do things that other people simply have never been able to do. To be able to have a vote and a voice in a democratic republic in order to guide an entire nation now numbering over 320 million people and one of the most powerful economic engines in the history of the world and to be able to guide one of the most powerful military forces in the history of the world and to be able to guide the most influential culture One of the most influential cultures in the history of the world and your vote helps to guide that But secondly is the ability to get an american passport Allows you access to places in the world hitherto unknown Allows you to travel almost unfettered through most of the known world And so I want to encourage you to do a few things one And that is to use your freedom in christ to follow his mission You have a freedom in Christ and you have a political freedom secondarily that allows you to follow the convictions that we hold scripturally about who Jesus is and our responsibility to tell everybody about him. I I want you to use your rights as an American citizen to work in God's mission Uh, Your right as an American citizen means that you can go stand out here on the corner of Manatee Avenue, and you can preach the gospel if you want to. It it means that you can serve Christ uh, by your conscience. It means that you can speak up and speak out on behalf of justice issues in the world today. You have a tremendous freedom that many times we just flitter away, and we hope that somebody else will do something about that other something that we've not done anything about. But as Christians who hold to the the convictions of the kingdom of God and that are granted the liberties that we have politically, we can act upon these things. But then there is this passport thing. I want to encourage you to use your passport to go where the gospel is not known. Because you've got that passport, you can get to a lot of places. Now, there are some places in the world that are closed to us because they're dangerous, because those other governments don't want Americans necessarily uh, moving around through their borders. But you can use your passport to go to most places. Right now in the world, there are, and I'm just going to use big round numbers, there are about 11,000 people groups in the world, and a people group, is a group of people that have a unique culture and language to them. Uh, and generally, they'll live in a specific geographic location. Of the 11,000 people groups that are in the world, 6,500 of them are unreached with the gospel. And when I say unreached, it means that less than 2% of their population are evangelical believers. So way more than half of the people groups in the world don't have at least 2% of their population as Christians. Of that 6,500 people groups that are unreached with the gospel, 3,000 of those people groups have zero Christian work going on in them right now. And this this goes from very small tribes in places like the Amazon Basin to very large populations that we would find in Southeast Asia, in major countries there. We know that there is still at least two and a half billion people on the planet who have no regular or easy access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Within the last month and a half, the entire country of China, its government, has locked down their internet access so that if you are in the geographic boundaries of China, you cannot even access a Christian Bible online. You can't even get it through the internet, and you can get everything through the interwebs. And so there is this need for us to say we have got an unparalleled amount of freedom in Christ so that there's no fear in living out our mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ, and and, and you couple that with the unparalleled freedoms that we have politically. There is no reason in the world why all of us would not be on a daily basis active in the mission of God because this is what Jesus did. He cared for those who could not care for themselves and he carried the gospel to those that did not know about grace. We follow Jesus in what he said, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. And we get busy and active in the world rather than letting the pleasures of the day or the political values of the moment or the personal guilt that we carry to rule our hearts. And we get busy being the ambassadors for Christ. And yes, the governing authorities eventually will tell us to be quiet, but we will say with Peter, we must obey God. And yes, there will be people who will riot sometimes in the street that don't like the message that we have, but we will be glad that they would have heard us that there is another king, and his name is Jesus. It is why we as a church must be busy about the work of multiplying the number of Christians in the world, of maturing one another in the faith, and of mobilizing one another into service. And I hope, I hope that on a day that we observe, that we call Independence Day, that beyond the barbecues and the fireworks and all of the uh, confectionery sweets that we will consume on that day, that we as the, the bride of Christ will lean in and embrace this missionary call that we have from our King. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that you. Would